Amen to that. Good morning. All right. Well, I'm batting cleanup. It's my, my job to get us out here on time now, right? Whatever, whatever I've been given. All right. Actually, let's just go ahead and we'll, uh, we'll start with the word of prayer. I think you'll be able to find our opening verse pretty quickly. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us and for the opportunity uh, once again to gather. And Lord, to worship you, to learn from you. And I pray that, Lord, in these next few moments that uh, you would open our eyes to the scriptures. Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Uh, thank you for this book and for the opportunity to hear from you. Lord, thank you for our church. We ask your blessings upon it, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, go to Genesis 1. That's uh, in your Old Testament. I think everybody in here probably knows where that is. Okay. I've, I've entitled this, You Know Enough. You know enough. Uh, you know, it's easy to get confused and overwhelmed by things, and, and we live in what's so-called the information age, but it's hard to boil that information down into much useful oftentimes, uh, particularly you spend any time on the, on the internet or searching around for things that you know that to be the case. Um, of course, now I'd, uh, we've got AI, and some of you might already use that in your workplace or know what that is, and I jokingly like to call it the oracle. Um, but, uh, you know, people say, well, you Google that, right? That's become into our, our lexicon of words, means look it up on the internet. And uh, now AI is taking it a step further. Uh, if you know, when you search on Google or any of those types of sites, you get 10,000 responses to whatever you've asked. Well, if you just ask AI, it doesn't give you 10,000 responses. It just tells you the answer, which is incredibly practical, I guess, if you asked how to bake a potato or something maybe, but if you ask for the meaning of life, you might want to look at with a scant eye whatever answer it returns to you. But we're uh, very quickly becoming conditioned that the oracle is just going to tell us the answers. We won't need to, won't need to uh, look any further. Uh, as if spell check hasn't already ruined me, uh, I think this is far more dangerous than just getting my words spelled correctly. Uh, we're going to have to be careful about that. Uh, but, you know, there's, I like to try to orient myself or get perspective on something. I think we need that in so many areas in our life. And uh, particularly, maybe if you're like me, sometimes it's hard to get started unless I sort of see the whole field, so to speak. I'm just the type of person, not everybody's that way, I know, that before I do anything, I want to kind of know what I'm getting into, like who are the players, what's the terminology, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the Bible, for example, is a pretty big book. It can be daunting to someone starting out. I mean, there's no pictures. That right there would stop some people in their tracks. We live in the culture of look at this thing and go, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, mine has 2,000 almost there. Sorry, I didn't look this up before. 2,018 pages. I'm waiting for the movie. That's what, mo that's what most people, that's how most people are going to view it, right? But you got to get started. You got to get started somewhere. Uh, and the Christian life is like that too. Uh, in fact, we won't turn that right over in, in Isaiah chapter 1. It's split between two verses. I think it's 17 and 18. You see these phrases, cease to do evil. 
learn to do well. And you might be able to say this in, in the case of your own Christian life, that you get saved and it cutting out all the bad stuff is usually a more straight process, right? I mean, you're kind of convicted, generally speaking. You know the stuff that you were doing that you should not be doing anymore. And you need to just cease from it. Cut that stuff off. It's time you just get that out of your life. Cease. That, that's pretty quick. I'm not saying it all happens immediately, but you get the idea. But then he says, learn to do well. See, that's the long game, isn't it? it? Throwing out the, you know, the booze or the music or whatever it was in your life that shouldn't be there anymore, you can get that done in a day. But learning to do well can take some work. Um, I don't know if you like to play board games. We have some in our house, and I've noticed a number of them have this phrase on them. A moment to learn, a lifetime to master. And that's true when you think about it. Now, some of them aren't worth mastering, but the idea is certainly there. I think that, that applies here as well. It's that same idea. I mean, I, I can teach you how to play chess in an afternoon, but you certainly won't have mastered the game in the afternoon, Cease doing evil, learn to do well. So I want to kind of set the stage. This is just going to be a, we're going to skim across the top of a few things. Because sometimes you need that bird's eye view of things. Sometimes people, I think, just kind of, they spin their wheels a bit because they feel overwhelmed or like it's just such a daunting challenge. And I only have nine points. So, I mean, this is simple. I put them in three groups to make them easier for you. And we're not going to spend long on these this morning. But really quickly, uh, setting the stage. Number one, God is the ultimate reality. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God. Boy, if you can grasp that right there, that will help set the stage going forward. And if you can't, or frankly, if you doubt it or don't believe it, you're set up for failure all the way to Revelation chapter 22. Say, so what do you mean? I mean, God is the ultimate reality. People want to question, where did he come from? Anywhere he wants to, he's God. Well, he couldn't have always existed. Well, what's the alternative? He just didn't exist and then poof, God existed. I mean, when you hear people talk about these types of things, the stuff they say, you have to wonder if they've thought more than 30 seconds about. Well, I just be, believe that in the beginning, nothing, and, and then it all condensed. Wait, what condensed? You're saying there was nothing, and then there was something. And that's far more believable than in the beginning, God. Yeah, give me in the beginning, God. Frankly, if I didn't believe the Bible, I would believe that that more, makes more sense than just in the beginning, nothing. If there was nothing, then how did the something get there? And I just, I don't know, I, if you don't cry or laugh, you cry. And people try, well, you see it all, it condensed down to this one point of infinite gravity and it sucked in all the light. You're like, how did that stuff get there? They don't have an answer. But God is the ultimate reality. We've got to settle that in our mind. Go up to verse 26. <clears throat> These are just kind of a couple high points. Like if you had to sort of give me some markers, give me some stakes I can put in the ground 
Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Point number two, man is made in God's image. Now, you could take an entire course to explain what that means, but I think you can grasp the low-hanging fruit very quickly. Man is made in God's image. Uh, I think it might have been Lewis who said, you have never met a mere mortal. When you think about that, how that would affect your daily life if we all considered the fact that all these other people, whether we like them or not, are creatures made in the image of God who are going to live forever. They're all going to live forever. And if we're not careful, sometimes we think like, well, you know, we're believers. There's just all those wicked people out there. Who knows what's going to happen to them? No, they're going to live forever. Or you might say they're going to die forever. You could make that case from the words of Scripture. But they're not going to stop existing at any point ever. That might guide your thinking a little bit about how we should treat our fellow man, how we should think about people. And if you want to go to Isaiah 34, again, we're not going to spend long in many of these, so we won't uh, turn to a lot of them. Isaiah 34, verse 16, the third point is that there is a manual for life. So, oh, if I just had a book, if I just had a manual. Of course, most of us don't read manuals anyway, and sometimes that's the problem. We get problems in our families, problems in our marriages, sometimes because the people who are trying to help us care more about our marriages than we do because we won't look at the manual. Isaiah 34, 16 says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. God has a manual for life. Most, if not all of you in here today, have it in your lap. So I just don't know what to do. Pick up the manual and start reading it. God is the ultimate reality. Man is made in his image, and there is a manual for life. You're not just thrown out there to the four winds, or at least you shouldn't be. The Bible tells us not to be you know, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Why? Because you've got right doctrine in your lap. And ultimately what matters is what God thinks. And how do we know what God thinks? We read his manual. I'm not saying that makes it easy. It's not. Bible talks about being a workman, a workman. It takes work to understand the Bible. And when you understand the Bible, it creates work. (laughs) That's two reasons why most people don't ever get into it. I don't want the work of trying to understand it, and I don't want the work it's going to give me if I do. But ultimately what matters is what God thinks. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. So just setting the stage, I don't even know where to start. Well, let me just give you some quick things where to start. You've got it settled in your heart that God's the ultimate reality. What he thinks is what matters. Man is made in his image, and there is a manual for life. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man. This is God going back and forth with the children of Israel, kind of in an argument. And he sort of summarizes it. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. I wish I just wish I knew what God wanted. Sound familiar? You may have asked that yourself. I wish I just knew. If God would just tell me, 
He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Sounds like God just gave you a three-point outline of what he wants from you. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Just imagine how our world, our country, our church, our home, your individual life with others, your workplace, whatever, would change if people could follow those three things. If you did right by others, you did justly, but you loved mercy, because not everyone's going to do right to you all the time, and you're not going to do right all the time. Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Praise God, because it's by his mercies that we're not consumed. The Bible says you should do justly, but you should love mercy. Love mercy. Be therefore merciful, Luke 6, 36, as your Father also is merciful. Follow the example of your father because he loves mercy and praise God that he does. And then walk humbly. We need a dose of humility in our lives. Oh, in our culture, don't even get me started. How much problems come because of pride? The Bible says in Proverbs, only by pride cometh contention. And our world's full of nothing but contention. But God says, well, I've got something different for you. I give you a manual, and what I want you to do is I want you to walk humbly. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. The Bible says to be subject one to another, clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud. You want to meet God face to face on bad terms? Be proud. Be arrogant. Be boastful. Think you're better than other people. The Bible says, but giveth grace to the humble. Do you want God to resist you? Or do you want his grace in your life? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That's the great requirement. You go to Matthew chapter 22. We have a great commandment. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Say, where should I start? How about with the first commandment? I think I'm going to start with number four. Well, (laughs) okay. He called it the first and great commandment. I just want to know what God wants for me. How about that you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind? Now, that's a tall order. Don't get me wrong. That's the long game. That's learning to do well. But you can start by asking yourself, are you even trying to do this? You wake up in the morning. Whatever you do as you go about your day, where are you spending your time? How much am I, you know, on my phone? Am I in front of the TV? 
Have I looked at my Bible today? Was I doing right? Walking humbly? I mean, am I even heading toward first base? Or am I just spinning around wondering? I think we can get grounded a little easier than that. This is the first and great commandment. And if you know your scripture, you know that he then adds, and love thy neighbor as thyself, right? That's those first two points we just talked about again. God is the ultimate reality. He is to be the object of all the love of our heart and mind and soul. And to love our brother who is made in the image of God as ourself. Jesus said, well, if all the law and the commandments and all the stuff the prophet said is confusing you, well, that all hangs on knowing these two things. And then, of course, Matthew 28, that most people are familiar with, 18 through 20, we have a great commission. A great commission. To go into all the world and to preach the gospel. To baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach all things that he's commanded us. Great commission. God's telling you what he requires. He's given you the first and great commandment, and he's given you work to do. Commissioned you to take his word to others. Now, of course, the church is involved here and so forth, of course. To teach all the things that he commanded. Well, I think we fall a little short there sometimes, don't we? We teach the things that he commanded that we like or some of the things that he commanded. That's not our commission. So what is it that's holding you back? Maybe you're here and none of this really makes a lot of sense to you. Maybe you are not even saved, never received Christ as your savior. Well, let me give you last three last little things. One, you're a sinner. Just like God is God and he is the ultimate reality, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John three thirty six says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, if you haven't believed on the Son, God's wrath abides on you currently. It's not something you have to, well, if I ever kill someone, God would be upset with that. Nope. You're either in his Son or his wrath is abiding on you. John 5, 28, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, because that's where he was headed but is passed from death. That's where you're currently at if you've not believed on God's Son. Passed from death unto life. Secondly, the good news, of course, is that God loves you and died for you. John 3.16, of course, as most people know, John 11.25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And lastly, go to John chapter 20, and we'll close up. John 20. You are a sinner. God does love you. He will save you if you'll ask him. John 20, verse 31. 
but these are written. Now we're back to that manual for life. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, ye might have life through his name. There it is. Say, well, I'm already saved. Well, hopefully some of these other things have benefited you. If nothing else, share those last three with somebody else. There's plenty of confusion in the world, but this doesn't have to be that confusing. God is the ultimate reality. Man is made in his image, and there is a manual for life. God has a great requirement, a great commandment, and a great commission for you. Start there at least. And to the lost world, God says they're dead in their sin. But he loved them, he died for them, and he'll save them if they'll ask. Because his word says so. So I'll just leave you with this. You don't know everything. Not even the oracle does. Contrary to what they seem to want to tell us to believe. You may not even know a lot. I mean, compared to the internet, who knows anything anymore? But even compared to each other, eh, some people know more than others. You may not know a lot. But I'll say this. You do know enough. You know enough. Three simple things, three little sub-points to help it along. We know enough today to know what God thinks, and to try to fashion and live our lives accordingly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the kind attention of these people this morning, your people. Thank you for this church, and thank you for your word. I pray that it would do its work in our hearts and our minds, and that you'd have your way as we close our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.